What's up, everyone? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, where I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses and side projects to get a sense of how they got to where they are today and how the rest of us can do the same. Today, I'm here with Mubashar Iqbal, also known on the internet as Mubs. He was Product Hunt's Maker of the Year for 2016, and he's an extremely prolific developer of side projects and other delightful things on the internet. How's it going, Mubs? Absolutely happy to be here. I've, I've been a big fan of Indie Hackers, so it's nice to actually speak with you and uh, hopefully uh, have something interesting to say for the audience as well. <laughs> yeah, I think you're one of the first people to come on the podcast who's a regular poster in the Indie Hackers forum. I always see you in there commenting on, on different things and showing off your projects, so it's pretty cool to have you on the podcast too. Yeah, it's it, it's really uh, it really is an awesome community because I think there's just a lot of people there who are trying to do a lot of the same things and, and kind of also hitting a lot of the same struggles as well. So I mentioned you were the maker of the year for Product Hunt in 2016. Can you give us some sense of how one acquires that title and what exactly it means? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually the runner-up for 2015 as well. Um, and they did change the way that they figured out who the winner was from 2015 to 2016. In 2015, it was just like the same as the other categories that Product Hunt had in, in their awards where people just went in and voted for who they thought was the maker of the year or the product of the year, etc. Uh, for 2016, they changed that to kind of uh, be a little bit more data-driven. They looked at uh, how many products people had launched and how many upvotes they got and, and, and kind of things like that. And I think I just beat people by just doing more than anybody else did. You know, I, I launched more apps on, on Product Hunt than anybody else did in 2016. Um, and it wasn't, you know, and they weren't just all kind of like throwaway apps. They almost all were, were significant apps. They got a lot of upvotes and, and kind of things like that. That was kind of how, how, how I got to be maker of the year. Yeah, what were some of the apps that you launched in 2016? Oh, 2016. So I think some of the big ones from 2016 was, I think we launched Plotlist um, last year uh, in 2016. Um, I also, I'm actually going to cheat now and actually pull up the page because <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of them last year. But That's the thing about um, being so prolific. You just, you forget what you've worked I, on because there's so much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, and it's, uh, I, and that's, that's the other thing that I think, um, you know, I like to do is I work with other people to kind of help launch their ideas. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of significant when you work on your own idea and you kind of launch, you know, something that's very personal to you and, and you know, obviously sticks in your mind and, you know, sort of all that kind, kind of stuff. When, when, when you do as many things as I do, I'm, I'm actually helping other people achieve their dreams and their ideas and kind of make them into, into real apps as well. So they're still significant to me, but they're way more significant to the other people as, as well. So yeah, so that's, so that's why you know, sometimes I do have to go and look up, okay, who did I help last year to kind of <laughs> launch their ideas and, and kind of things like that. So yeah, so there was, there was actually a few um, leaderboard apps that I, I kind of launched last year, which um, for Medium specifically... Um, there was uh, like top authors and top publications because I yeah I started to blog a lot more on Medium in in 2016, but it, it was very hard to find uh, you know who were the other authors who were who who were you know highly followed or were putting out good content uh, and what were the good publications to submit my articles into and, and sort of that kind of stuff. Um, so I kind of built some apps to kind of help people find top-rated authors and the top-rated publications, kind of stuff like that. Um, also did a, a, a work, some work on Q last year, which is another side project that um, 
that I, I kind of helped out with uh, with some friends of mine out, over in England. Um, so we did we, we we had some launches ar- ar- around that as well. So it was it was a pretty interesting and varied 2016. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I mean, there's a lot in there that uh, explains why I wanted to have you on the podcast because. I think for most people, just getting working up the motivation to launch one project is difficult and doesn't happen. Or even coming up with the idea for a single project that, that you can be committed to often doesn't work out for most people. Being able to maintain old projects that you've worked on is, is a hairy problem. And finding co-founders to work with who are actually reliable people that can help you get something out the door is another challenge. And you seem to have like perfected this entire process, <laughs> every step of it, to the point of insanity. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to dive into some of the specific lessons that you've learned with maybe not every project, because we would be here for like 10 hours, but, <laughs> but with a lot of them. Uh, and I think a good place to start is the beginning of the process, which is coming up with ideas. How do you know what projects are worth working on and how do you decide what to do? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting one. I mean, I think for me, um, a lot of it has to do with solving a problem of my own and so i think those those kind of it becomes a lot easier to kind of find those projects when you're trying to solve a problem that you have and and obviously if you have that problem every day that makes it a lot more obvious as well so so for example one of the first things that i ever launched on product hunt was a website called interviewed and it was basically just a way to find podcast episodes from specific people so when when they'd been interviewed so if i wanted to go you know like patrick collison since since we're now part of stripe and since india is now part of stripe we can start with him uh, <laughs> we can you know so like if you wanted to find all the interviews uh from patrick you could basically just have a page you click on his profile and you'd see all the podcasts that he'd appeared on and which kind of episodes he was on and, and so that was just trying to solve a pain point that I had. Like I was trying to listen to podcasts. I was trying to find interesting people, see what they were doing, see how they were doing things. And so I wanted to get as much information about what they were doing. And, and suddenly I found there was no way to kind of find all of the podcasts that somebody was on. You know, so I kind of solved that problem for myself. Um, and then it obviously grew out of there, added more people, added, you know, more podcasts and things like that. It's kind of hard to maintain that because you have to kind of keep listening to a lot of podcasts and and kind of and kind of update them um so i did keep it update up to date for a while but now it's kind of more of an archive there kind of historically but yeah so that that's i think that that's my main way of kind of uh finding ideas finding things to solve it's just if you're doing something and you're like damn this is you know this is annoying why does it work like this or if there's some information that you're looking for that isn't there uh instead of waiting for somebody else to solve that problem for you i just tend to solve it myself (laughs) Do you spend dedicated time brainstorming ideas to work on? Or do you have like some sort of list of ideas that you're keeping? Or do you just wait for inspiration to strike and then work on whatever is the most exciting? Yeah, um, it's kind of a mixture. There's some ideas that you, you kind of hit on the idea and you're like, immediately I have to work on that idea. But I try, I've, I've been trying to do less of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've got a Trello board actually that whenever I hit a pain point or something that I think that would be a cool thing to work on, I come and add a card into my Trello board that has that idea in it. And I've been doing this thing where I've been 
tracking the fact that I've added it in already. <laughs> so I know that <laughs> I've hit that same pain point and, and thought it was a really smart idea to kind of solve that pain point. And then I go to my Trello board and it's like, oh, it's already here. Uh, so I've been kind of tracking how many times I've had that thought. And so the more times I have that thought, the more likely it is that that's actually a, a good problem to try and solve. Um, so yeah, so, that, that, so I kind of track my ideas through that. But occasionally, I'll just hit on an idea and be like, okay, I'm going to work on this right now. <laughs> yeah, I get that same thing. Or it's like, I just have to, to do this thing right now all the time. Another thing about the way that you come up with ideas and the projects that you work on is that you don't seem primarily motivated by profit. And very often, it looks like you know most of your, the things that you release aren't constrained by needing to make a profit. You don't put ads on there. You don't sell things. What drives you to build things? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean I, I've, I've, had a, I've had a job... You know, since I've I left school, you know, back, you know, I've been doing you know, like the software thing for about twenty years now, and that whole time I've been employed. So, so doing like the side projects and things that I do, profit hasn't been like the primary factor in terms of you know why you start something new. Probably about two or three years ago, like the main reason that I started doing side projects was I was working at an agency at the time, and I had been working in in kind of agency world for about three or four years. And I was doing some really awesome stuff with some really awesome people, but because of the way that the agency world works and because of the way that they're very secretive about uh, who's doing what and who's subcontracting what, who's building what website, I was doing some really awesome stuff, but I couldn't talk about it. Like I couldn't say, this is what I just built, you know, for the last six months or whatever. Uh, And so I found that my public profile had kind of, diminished so people weren't really aware of what I was doing and, and and kind of things like that so I kind of started doing side projects more as a way to kind of spread the word about hey look I just built this this thing that's cool and just kind of expand my network and my and my public profile more so that was kind of like the main reasoning that I got back into doing all of these things it worked yeah <laughs> I think it did <laughs> I think it definitely did people are people definitely know who I am now <laughs> Have you ever considered going full-time with your side projects? I mean, I guess at that point, they would no longer be side projects, technically speaking. But do you have a dream or a goal of being self-employed and generating all of your revenue and income from your own projects? Or do you think you're happier with the status quo, working a full-time job and keeping your projects as hobbies on the side? Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I've thought about that a lot. And, you know, I mean, obviously, if, if I have a project that takes off and starts making a lot of money, it's actually funny because I've, I've spoken to people in the past and, and, and I've said to them quite openly, like, I don't, I, although I have a drive to, like, make projects and make software and, and to kind of launch things, I've never really had the strong desire to be a CEO and, a, you know, and, and like a leader of a company. Uh, I think I think that's a completely different skill set, right? Like in terms of taking an idea, you know, and and kind of implementing it, like that's not really what a CEO normally would do. Uh, and and even when you get to the other kind of higher level roles in terms of like the, the like the CTO of a company and those kind of things, once you get past a certain size, those people aren't very hands on anymore, right? Like they're they're more they're they're managing the process, they're talking to investors, they're talking to partners, they're they're kind of doing that whole kind of management shuffle you know sort of at that point and that's not really what I enjoy um and so I think that's why I've never really had that pull to like okay I want to go start my own company and do my own thing like that because I never really wanted to do all of those those other things I'd much rather have my hands on 
taking ideas, implementing ideas, you know, implementing new technology, you know, doing those kind of things. So, yeah, so I've never really had that pull to, you know, I've, I, I want to quit my job and I want to start my own thing. It's, it's, I, that's never really been a strong appeal. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It's a totally different mindset. It's a totally different skill set. And it's a totally different set of tasks that you find yourself doing and responsible for on a daily basis. You find yourself doing all sorts of management tasks and getting away from writing the actual code and building the products. Although I will say that there is a lot of room in between releasing free side projects and starting a bigger company with a team that requires a lot of management overhead. A really good example is Dave DeSandro of Metaphysy, who I had on the podcast a couple weeks back. He's making one-off tools for developers to use on their websites, and what I find particularly cool about it is that once he's done building a tool, he's done. They don't require a whole lot of maintenance overhead, so he can just move on to the next one and not have to worry about it. And what's also cool is that he releases his tools for free. They're also open source. So anybody can use these for personal projects. But if you're a company, then you need to pay him something like $20 or $40 per developer for a license. So it just seems like a super chill business model. I think so. I mean, I've definitely considered like, you know, what people call that lifestyle kind of business, right, as well. Like it doesn't have to be like this big enterprise. Like I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go run a big company with, with like, you know, 20 employees on that, and that kind of thing. But if I had one company where it's just like me and maybe one other person and we're making, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, I mean, like that, that would be fine. Like as long as I'm not, as long as I'm still kind of involved in the, in the every, everyday operation kind of of that thing, I think, I think that would be something that would be interesting. And I think also, you know, like you said, you know, maybe it's, it's kind of, pivoting where I can still do what I enjoy, right? Like it, it still find a way to run my own company, but it's not about growing the company. It's about running the company uh, and still doing the things that I enjoy. If I could figure that out, I think that may be something I want to do. Uh, but but I, I think I think until I figure out exactly what that is, I, I think I'll, I'll kind of stay where exactly where I am. <laughs> yeah, that makes complete sense. You have to find something that you enjoy working on. And it's pretty cool to be able to jump around and work on a variety of things. Right. And that's, that's, that's also one of the things that I really enjoy is, like, and, and one of the reasons that I do end up doing so many different projects is that I, I, do, I enjoy that variety, right? Of you work on one project one day, you work on something else another day, or you help somebody one day, and then you help somebody else another day. So you end up having this wide variety of things of industries that you're working in, of, of tools that you're working with as well. And and that's actually one of the reasons I did like working in the sort of agency world as well is you get that wide array of of, of clients who who work in all kinds of different industries and so you're not pigeonholed into doing one thing every day and doing the same thing for you know years and years and years. Speaking of tools, why don't you tell us about some of your favorite programming languages, frameworks, apps, and other tools that you use to get your projects off the ground? One of the things I do try and tell people, and again, this kind of freaks people out, is I, I, I say I am tool agnostic. I really don't care about what tools I use. Like I can use Ruby on Rails one day. I can use Laravel one day. I can use Node.js one day. Uh, you know, I can use uh, you know, all the different front-end tools too. Like I've used React and Vue and jQuery and all those kind of things. So, you know, tools to me aren't that important. Like, I'm not going to say I'm only going to use one tool. And if you're not going to use that tool in the project, I don't want to be on the project. But having said that, you know, I'm more than willing to work with lots of different tools. 
Um, but my favorites probably right now, you know, I use Laravel PHP for almost all of my website stuff. And I tend to float between jQuery and Vue.js, uh, depending on how complex the front end is. And then I do almost all of my hosting for all of my side projects is on DigitalOcean. Um, so it makes it very easy to kind of spin up a project, deploy it, and have it up and running on 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 a server. Like I've 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 done that in like sort of hours. You know, kind of had the idea, spun it up, figured out what it is, and kind of have it up and uh, having up on a live server. I can do in a few hours. I hear so much about Laravel, and it, it's funny because PHP was the first backend language that I really ever used, but it was way before Laravel existed. So I'm gonna have to have Taylor on the podcast and have him talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but what about what about products? Are there any products you find yourself using besides Trello? Uh, I mean, I think product. I mean, I use Sublime Text as my editor of choice. Uh, I've tried like just about every other one that appears. You know, I've tried things like Atom and, you know, Parackets from Adobe and sort of all, and, you know, Agile Studio and kind of all of those, uh, you know, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, I think the sort of thing that I like about Sublime the most is just its speed. Uh, you know, that, so switching between different files and opening files and, and, you know, switching between different projects and things like that. It, it, I still haven't found anything that works as fast as, as it does. And you know, and it's got all the standard features in terms of themes and you know, sort of all that kind of stuff too. So it looks really awesome. But yeah, so I think that's 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 probably the tool I use every day and probably for like eight or twelve hours a day is I'm kind of in that a lot. Outside of that, I mean I try and keep my development stuff really lightweight. Like I mean obviously we use things like Slack to kind of talk. I use Slack to to, to kind of talk to people I'm working with on side projects and things like that. But other than that, I mean, other than things like the social media tools like Twitter and, and those kind of things, I, I, I tend to stay kind of lightweight on apps. So one of the things that I really like talking about is learning to code and really like the necessity of learning to code in order to build an online business or release a side project or any sort of app that people will use. And one of the things that you do very well is work with various collaborators on, on your projects. Do most of the people you work with help you write the code or do you generally work with people who don't know how to code to help them bring their ideas to life? Yeah, I generally, I tend to work more with people uh, who don't know how to code um, or they need to, or they code a little bit. Um, so they kind of have a sense of, of kind of what needs to happen, but they don't always know how to make it happen. And, and so I think, I find, I mean, obviously when you try and do things as quickly as I try and do them, I think having more hands actually can kind of slow things down in there. When 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 I'm working with other people, we 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 try and make that clear segmentation between okay, I'm going to do the technology stuff, I'm going to write the code, I'm going to manage the servers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, but you know, but I work with designers a lot, so they you know, so they handle a lot of the 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 visual aspects of of what the website should look like and how it should work from page to page, from screen to screen. Um, sort of that that kind of aspect of things, and then when when I'm working with other people too, who are more kind of businessy type people, we, we kind of tend to talk more about okay, well, you know, this is how I want the website to work because this is the business solution that we're trying to solve. So I just have them articulate uh, what the what the what what the website is supposed to do and how it's supposed to do it at at, at sort of a very high level, and then I take that and I, I turn that into wireframes, and then we kind of 
turn that into into a f- functioning app as well. Yeah, I, I think being a programmer and working with designers is such a badass combination. I'm in love with the design team at Stripe. Obviously, they're super talented, and my desk just got moved to kind of where they sit. So I spend all day <laughs> just like spying on them and like peeking over their shoulders at what they're doing. Let's say you're not a programmer. A lot of people listening in are probably not programmers, but they would love to be able to partner with somebody like you on a project to get something out the door. What is it that you look for in a collaborator to say, that, okay, this is somebody that I could work with? Yeah, I mean, normally, I, I, yeah, I have lots of conversations with people who've got ideas uh, that they want to build. You know, normally I'm looking for something that's not necessarily 100% original, right? But I'm looking for an idea that's not just, I want to build Facebook for, you know, Facebook for animals, you know, I want, I want something that's fairly, <laughs> <laughs> that's fairly original or, you know, at least is solving a pain point for you specifically, at, at least, right? Like, or even if it's not you specifically, but it's it's something that you've spoken to. It's something that you've that you know that it's it's a potential market opportunity. And I'm not saying it has to make money, but uh, but at least you know that there's an audience for what you're trying to achieve. Because I think that I mean, because yeah, I I do. I've I've kind of had those conversations with people where it's like, well, I saw a friend of mine launched an app that does this, and now I want to launch an app that does like that too. But and those kind of ideas, you know, obviously don't end well because they haven't really thought through what that idea is and so I think I think that's the other thing that I look for is even if you can't code you can think about the solution that you're trying to create right like how does it work you know in terms of not technically but you're you're trying to get information from here you're trying to connect to another person or you're trying to automate a process so when 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 I talk to somebody you know I want them to have like actually thought about that right like What's what will the software do? Not technically how will it do it, you know. Not technically how we're going to implement it, but what does the software help you do? And the people who kind of sat down and actually thought through, like the process of what the software is supposed to do and who it's supposed to connect and and, and those kind of things, I think that really makes it easier because when they talk to me about, uh, you know, this is what I want to build, and you know, then I have to start asking them the questions of, okay, well how do you get that information or how do you know that you're supposed to send them to the right screens next? And, you know, they, they've thought through a lot of those things as well. Uh, and so it makes me comfortable that, that we're actually building something that will actually work. It sounds like you've almost got a formal checklist that you run through to figure out if something's worth working on. So it's like, okay, does it have an audience? Check. Have they thought through the product? Check. What are some other things that are part of your checklist? Well, I mean, normally I want to know what they're going to do as well. Right, like I understand you can't code, right? But how are you going to move the project forward as well? Like, are you going to go and submit it to every app directory that's out there? Are you going to go and write articles and then you know, talk about what what you're building? How are you going to advance it as well? I mean, I can make the software for you. We can put it on a server. We can launch it. We can put up a website. How are people going to know it exists? How are they? You know, how how are people going to find the thing that we've built? Um, so if you can't code, that's fine because not everybody can code. But you know, can you do content marketing? Can you can you talk to customers? I mean, how are, how are you gonna take what we work on? I mean, if we're gonna take months or weeks or months making something, how are you gonna help <laughs> as well? And, and people who've thought about that as well, I think you know, people are just like, I want you to make it, and then we're gonna sell it and make lots of money. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's not how things work, you know. <laughs> I already did help. I gave you the idea, and it's like, oh, right. that's, that's not quite. It seems like half the battle is just putting yourself in the right position to be around the kinds of people who are going to be good partners and collaborators. 
it's very easy to be surrounded by people who might have ideas but aren't particularly helpful in bringing them to life. Or even worse, to not have anybody around you at all. Who cares? Where do you hang out and what do you do and what are your strategies for finding good people to work with? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just being available and being a part of the communities out there that kind of exist, right? Like, I mean, I, I joined Indie Hackers as soon as I heard about it because that's my kind of people, right? Like people who just have that idea, they have that spark and they want to work on something. And they don't necessarily have to be technical to kind of have that spark. Um, you know, even because I, I, like I said, I've worked with a bunch of designers and like one of the first projects I did was a designer had actually made every screen of the app. He's like, this is what I want to build. And so he couldn't, he couldn't implement that. But the fact that he'd already taken the time to kind of think through all of the screens and figure out like, yeah, this is how the app should work. Uh, was really awesome because I, I could look at it and be like, I know exactly what I need to build. Uh, and obviously, we kind of went over it and said, okay, we're going to change this and change that. But but at least they'd taken that time. They they, they kind of made that effort. So yeah, I, tr- I just try and, you know, I make myself available on Twitter. People can, you know, people can reach out to me and, you know, we kind of have a conversation. Outside of that, it's just being involved in the community, being involved in Indie Hackers. You know, I kind of hang out on, on like the show area of Hacker News as well, I kind of hang out even on designer news as well, even though I'm not really a fully fledged designer. But you know, it's again, it's that it's it's finding people with the same attitude um, as you, and I think just finding where where they hang out and just hanging out with them as well. I think another one of the big challenges that you're extremely successful at overcoming that I mentioned earlier is finding the time to actually get your projects out the door and see them through to completion. Especially given that you've got a full-time job, you've got a family, I believe, kids. How do you make that work? Uh, yeah, I, I try and be honest about this. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a freak in that I don't sleep a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you sleep? I typically, if I get four or five hours sleep a night, I'm okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that, that obviously helps, you know, like, I mean, I don't need the full eight to 10 hours that a lot, that a lot of other people need. So yeah, having that extra three hours a day that normal people would normal, normal people would be asleep. Uh, I'm not, you know, and, and, and for me too, I mean, outside of that, I mean, like I do treat what I'm doing as my hobby, right? Like it really is something I enjoy to do. And I just happen to really enjoy doing it in front of a computer. I love making stuff. You know, some people like to go work on cars or they need to, or they love to go work in the wood shop or, you know, do what, whatever it is. I just happen to love being in front of a computer writing code. And so, you know, I make time for it because it's something that I like to do. But it's also something I can do while I'm doing other things. Like, you know, because I'm, I'm also a big fan of TV and movies as well. I love to watch movies. I love to watch TV as well. It just so happens I can sit in front of a TV, watch a TV show, and write code at the same time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it makes it a little bit easier where I can do these things at the same time. So making time is, is just that. I mean, like, it's something I enjoy to do, so I make the time for it. And like I said, I don't sleep as much as other people do. So, I mean, I, what I used to do a lot was... Uh, when when my kids went to sleep, my kids, you know, they go to sleep at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Um, yeah, I would hang out with the wife for a little, little bit. She would go to bed as well around, you know, eleven o'clock. Then at eleven o'clock, I'd have a two or three hours where I could work. And but it wasn't work, right? It, I mean, it was a hobby. It was something I enjoyed to do. So from eleven till about 
two o'clock in the morning is when I do a lot of my stuff for for uh, side stuff. Yeah, you're like uh, you've got these genetic advantages where <laughs> you can multitask with the TV and, and your your projects, and you can stay up late. You're like the LeBron James of, of <laughs> side projects. And I don't think technology is at the point where very many of us can copy your genetic makeup. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I do like I do try and be honest about that. I mean, it's it's not something that sort of everybody can do, and and. And people can do it for a short amount of time, right? Like you could do that for like a week or two. Like if you had a really idea that you really were passionate about, you wanted to launch it, you could do it for a week, right? Like you could just forego sleep. But I've been doing it for the last, well, I've been doing it since I was in high school. You know, like I would drive my parents nuts because uh, when, when I was in high school, I was like 15, 16 years old. I would be up till one o'clock in the morning and they would be like, but well, you have to wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and get ready for school and all that kind of thing. And I was like, well, I'm not tired. <laughs> I can try and go to sleep, but I'd rather be up working. Uh, well, at that time I was just playing around really. I was playing video games and hacking on video games at the time. But, uh, but yeah, I've been doing it for as long as, uh, as long as I can uh, remember. I think the most concrete thing that I take out of that is the fact that working on these side projects really needs to be your hobby. It needs to be something that you enjoy and that you're passionate about. As cliche as that might sound, if that's not the case, then you're going to find that you have to make a lot of sacrifices in order to squeeze in the time because you'll be sacrificing the things that are your actual hobbies and passions in order to make room for this other thing that you're not that into. Whereas somebody like you can work on these projects and not feel like you're making a sacrifice at all. Right, and and that's what that's that's the other thing that I look for when 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 I'm looking for like a, a partner to kind of work on stuff. Like if they're coming to me with an idea, let's say they're a big musician. If they're building something that's in the musical industry, it's much more likely that they have the passion for that, right? Like, but if they're coming to you with an insurance idea, I want to build a website for an insurance, you know, service. But they're like musicians and they want to play music all the time. Like, why are you building an insurance service? You know, that kind of thing too. I think that's really important as well. Having something, having an idea that you're really passionate about is not just about, I want to build a, I want to build a company around that, but it's actually like a problem that I really want to solve because it's something that I really enjoy being involved with and being, and being around other people who like that, that, that kind of thing as well. What's your secret for getting things out the door quickly? Because not only do you spend a lot of time working, but you seem to, from start to finish, get a product out the door in like the minimum amount of time possible. And it doesn't even look crappy. Like the things that you produce look great and they work great. What are your tips there? That's just come from experience, I think, right? Like I've been, like I've been doing this for 20 years now. Um, and I actually just wrote a post on Medium recently. It's called... Uh, Jack, the master of all trades, and it kind of talks a little bit about uh, how yeah. You know, some I've got a lot of ad- advice in the past about yeah. You know, people have told me, look, if you want to be successful in life, in a career specifically, that you need to have like one skill that you do better than everybody else, right? Like you got to pick one technology, you got to pick Ruby on Rails, and just become the master of Ruby on Rails. And I've tried to follow that in the past, but you know, more and more, I've kind of come to the realization that. I don't want to do that, <laughs> but because I want to be a generalist, I want to be good at everything. I don't want to be master at one thing. I want to be good at everything. So that means that when somebody comes to me with an idea and they want it to look not so bad, I can make a website that looks not so bad. You know, I can think about servers and think about, okay, how can I optimize the servers so that when I deploy this, this new website, it will actually run and it won't crash the server. 
um, you know, and I can think about the user experience and understand why it's good to have things positioned a certain way. And, and so having that generalized knowledge and that generalized experience of all aspects of making a project and a website, uh, I think is one of the things that really helps me get things out fast. As I'm making things, I consider all of those things. I don't wait till the end and then be like, oh, now I need to optimize the server. Or I need to go and optimize the code to run faster because it's going to crash the server. I'm doing all of those things along the way. And it's often easier to do those things earlier on and do them along the way than to have to go back and re-engineer things and to rethink things. Because I think that's where a lot of people waste time is they, they, they finish it and then they go back to the start to, to like fix things. And, and I find I don't, I tend not to have to do a lot of that. <laughs> and so that's where I'm able to push things out really, really quickly, I think. It reminds me of my brother who helps run Andy Hackers, but he's also a novelist. And I remember him writing his first novel when we were in college and sending me chapter after chapter. And by the time he got to the end of the book, the latest chapters were so much better than the earlier chapters that he had to go back and rewrite it because <laughs> it sounded like two different books. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. I mean, even even from a design standpoint, like I've worked with designers a lot, and and they they kind of design the first screen and they hand it off to me, and, and I'll work on it. And then as we go further in the project, they'll do more of those. But then when they get to the end, they're like, "Well, now that last screen doesn't really look like the first one that I gave you, so I have to go back to the first one and kind of re." change how that one looks <laughs> and, and, and so you end up going through all of the screens like multiple times because it, it doesn't quite match anymore because they've improved by the time they get to the end of the project they've improved where they finish so much that they feel they have to go back to the beginning and kind of improve that o- sort of over from the start as well exactly and yeah like I, said, I try not to do that I try and I try and factor a lot of that stuff in at the beginning and then just try and work through and just get it to the point where I think the one other thing that I, I try and do is you know, and, and, and again, I've written a post on, on uh, about this as well. It's like, I don't try and make things perfect. You know, I make them good enough. <laughs> I think because it's a, a personal project, they, they often feel like they put more pressure on themselves. Like, it's mine. I own it. It has to be perfect. Uh, you know, versus it's my job. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a really, you know, I'm going to do a really good job. But I don't feel like I own it versus it's a side project this is all me i have to own it and it has to be perfect but really really as we know there's no such thing as perfect (laughs) um and and so you know we do as much as we can we make it as good as we can and then we launch it what's funny to me about that whole paradigm or that trap of getting sucked into my project has to be perfect before I release it, is that most projects that people release, nobody ever sees. They get zero traction. <laughs> and so you could spend six months or 12 months releasing this perfect project and then nobody sees it and it doesn't matter that it was perfect. Right, and, and that's the other thing. I mean, I try and, I try and tell people too, when, especially when I'm working with collaborators as well, is like there's no such thing as a finished product anymore, right? Like if you have a successful thing on your hands, it will change every day from now until you stop working on it. Um, and so there's no such thing as finished. You know, there's no such thing as perfect because if it's not finished, how can it be perfect? And, and so just let's launch it. We'll see what people say. And if they tell you to change something, that's what you do. And, and, so, uh, and so, yeah, so there's, so there's no such thing as perfect. Launch it, get it in the hands of people as soon as you can. They will tell you what's wrong with it. I think another cool thing about the vantage point from which you can look at things is that 
very few people get to see the actual behind the scenes details of taking a project from start to finish as many times as you have. Maybe investors have, but very few people in the driver's seat have actually gotten to do that because they're not as prolific as you. I'm sure going through this process time and time again, you've learned a lot of lessons about how to actually get the thing that you've made into the hands of users rather than the typical fate of most projects and businesses, which is to fade away with nobody ever trying it out. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned about promoting what you've done, distributing what you've done, and what channels have you found particularly effective for getting the word out about your projects? Well, I think I actually learned this lesson when I worked in agency world as well. Um, because I think a lot of times what happened in, even in agency world is, so a client comes to you and they want to hire your agency to kind of, you know, rebuild their website or rebuild a specific app or launch a specific app that they have in mind. But, you know, it's a large company that you're working with. There's, you know, there's a thousand people at the company and, but the person talking to you isn't necessarily the person who's going to be using the product or, you know, or isn't even the person who's going to. Uh, you know, give final sign-off sort of on, on, on that particular app or that particular website. So, I mean, a lot, a lot of what happened in sort of agency world was that, you know, there would be a project manager on, on the company side as well as on the agency side. And so, you know, we would go through the cycle of uh, figuring, out what the re- figuring out what the requirements were and doing all that kind of stuff, then doing the build and doing the launch, doing the handoff of the project. And then the person who's actually responsible for the application or the thing, you know, who's actually going to sign off on it and say this, this, this works the way it's supposed to, they would see it at the end of the cycle, and they would be like, "Well, this doesn't work." <laughs> um, and so, so I think that's kind of like my first inkling of you have to get it to the people who are actually going to use it as quickly as you can. Kind of came about through that. Do you have a process that you go through for for finding these initial users and getting it into their hands? It depends on it depends on the app, and it depends on you know if I'm working with other people and things like that too. Typically, a lot of the things I do side project wise are kind of meant for people like me in terms of you know they're either software people or they're web design people or things like that. And because I've been a part of the community for so long, I already have access to a few of those. Right, like I'll build something, and long before I launch it, I've shown it to ten, twelve people already. Just to get their initial thoughts on it, you know, just high level. This is a this is a good idea. This is a bad idea. I like the overall look and feel of it. Sort of that kind of thing. That's like the ultimate the ultimate hack, and it's what you said earlier. It's building things that you want to see yourself, because then you, I mean, ultimately, what you really want to do is just understand the customer or the user that you're building for. And if you're building a product for yourself, then of course you understand where you hang on online, what kind of features are important to you, et cetera. And that makes it easier to build a product that other people like you will also enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, I mean, there are certain websites out there, like uh, we've used BetaList in the past. We uh, you throw up a kind of a splash page, you know, uh, this kind of web app is about to launch soon. Um, you know, you collect email addresses, you, you kind of send out the emails, hey, we've, you know, we've kind of got our MVP out. We'd love, you know, we'd love for you to come and try it out. Product Hunt just started something like that called Upcoming as well, where you can kind of list your upcoming product that hasn't launched yet. So you can collect email addresses, kind of get feedback like that. Yeah, increasingly now as well, there there seems to be there's a slack for that too, right? Like so, what, what, whatever industry you're working in, whatever product or service you're trying to build, there's probably either a Facebook group or a Slack group of people who who are your target market. 
join that community. Start being a part of that as soon as you can. Um, obviously, don't spam them <laughs> or kind of anything like that. But you know, start engaging. Start seeing what they're talking about. Start seeing are they actually experiencing the same pain that you're trying to solve? And if they are, awesome. And if they're not, find out what problem they are trying to solve. Um, and yeah, you, you, know, you start having those one-on-one conversations with with people in those communities, and, and to see if you're trying to solve something that really exists. What's your take on Product Hunt itself as a distribution channel for getting the word out about uh, something that you've built? And do you have kind of a checklist or playbook that you go by for promoting what you've done on Product Hunt? So I think it kind of depends on why you built something, right? Like I find Product Hunt is great. It, it may not necessarily get you like the, the biggest audience numbers that, that you can get elsewhere, but I find... Most influencers look on Product Hunt first before they look elsewhere, right? So, so when we launched um, Will Robots Take My Job dot com uh, about six or seven weeks ago now, Product Hunt was the first place that I kind of launched it. But I knew that there wouldn't. I, mean, I knew it would do well on Product Hunt, but I knew that that was my door into into a lot wider space. Uh, so we launched on Product Hunt. I'm not sure if you if you heard that story, but we got we got something like uh, six million page views in less than three weeks. I think it was. Yeah, it was huge. I remember you posting about it on Indie Hackers, and I thought it was it was mind blowing how much traffic you got. It was it was awesome. And I think the thing was is that even though Product Hunt itself didn't send us a lot of traffic, there was a lot of people who checked Product Hunt to see what's cool and what's new, so they can then spread the word elsewhere. Because like you know, we we got most of our traffic from. MSN and AOL and and places like that, but had I not posted on Product Hunt, the people who wrote about it on those other places would never have 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 heard about it. So you didn't pitch any press. You didn't actually reach out to them. We we pitched a couple like after we'd launched because like that was our plan was that like, well launch on Product Hunt we'll kind of get our our initial uh, feedback from the community. And then, you know, then we'll kind of start to reach out to the press once we're happy with everything working the way that it's supposed to and everything looking the way that it's supposed to. Obviously, we didn't, it didn't end up working out quite like that because the, the press kind of found it and kind of, <laughs> and kind of ran, with it all, uh, ran with it all on their own. So, yeah, I think that's the one thing I try and tell people is that product sounds awesome. And obviously, if you've got the kind of product that will be a good fit, I think it will, it will send you a lot of um, audience and it will also send you... Uh, potentially customers as well. But I try not make it my only way to kind of spread the word. If you are going to do press, if you are going to pitch it, you know, try and pitch the press at the same time as you're doing your product hunt launch. Uh, if you're trying to raise money, you know, on AngelList or something like that, if you're, if you're going to post yourself on, on AngelList, you know, try and launch on product hunt around the same time so that when people find your AngelList posting, oh, they, oh, I just saw them on product hunt you know like people because there is that small community of people that hang out in most of the places that you would use to get more exposure more uh, and sort of more kind of startup related things but they kind of use product hunt as a has that has that has that product or that service been on product hunt if not why not you know why 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 have they launched on product hunt so if you can leverage product hunt to kind of make sure that people have already heard of you when you want those other things uh, I think that works. Re- that works the best that I've seen. It's like well, when I've pitched press in the past, I've told them, "Hey, look, I just launched this thing. It's number one on Product Hunt. It's number two on Product Hunt. 
they tend to pay more attention to it than if I just pitch them with, without having been on Product Hunt itself. Yeah, it's like a, it adds legitimacy to what you've done. And I found similar effects on other communities on the internet where some communities are a really good launching pad to get what you've built noticed in other places. So a few weeks ago, there was an article that I really wanted to get on Hacker News. But instead of posting directly to Hacker News, I submitted it to a subreddit, slash r slash entrepreneur, and the people there liked it, and eventually they submitted it to Hacker News because there's so many people there looking at it. So yeah, it's really good to be aware of the various communities you can post and get traction. And obviously, Product Hunt is the one that I most associate with you just because you're so prolific there and you won Product Hunt's Maker of the Year. But I'm also glad that you mentioned your project uh, that you released a few months ago, willrobotstakemyjob.com, which if you're listening to and you haven't been there, you should go there and absolutely find out if robots are going to take your job. I would love for you to go into detail and tell the story about that project from beginning to end because it has all of the challenges and all of the hallmarks, really, of getting any side project out the door. For example, you had to find a collaborator to work with. You had to actually build the thing and make it good, but at the same time, be mindful of spending too much time working on it. You had to launch it and promote it and get it into people's hands. How did all of this happen, and how did it begin? Well, Robots Take My Job, is a, it's a very simple website. You go, you punch in uh, the title of your, of, of, of your job, and it, and it gives you a percentage likelihood that your job will be automated away, either through AI or through robots products and kind of things like that and actually so it's not my idea this is one of those ideas where somebody else came to me with the idea so about two months ago uh, I joined the freelance.tv slack group uh, and so freelance.tv is, uh, is is a new website by Dan Petty who's an awesome designer out in California and so I was just I, I joined the slack group and somebody reached out to me on the slack group was like hey I've seen you on product hunt uh, would love to work on something with you at some point, and I was like, "Well, absolutely awesome!" <laughs> I'd, uh, you know, I would, I would love to as well. But it's one of those things where it's like, "Well, I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. Uh, I'm not going to work on like the next big, you know, big project with you. Why don't we start with something small?" So his name's Timotar, and he works. Uh, he lives, I should say, out in Bulgaria. And so we did all of this in Slack. We didn't, we didn't actually talk to each other until after we'd launched the actual app itself. We didn't actually speak on online or, you know, we didn't do a hangout or anything like that. We did everything in, in Slack. So, yeah, so, so, so we kind of tried to come up with some ideas of, of things that we could work on that, that would be kind of small in scope, that we could kind of get a feel for how we would work with, with each other uh, in terms of working on you know, something that might someday become much larger. Uh, and so we we kind of we kind of threw out some ideas, and one one of the ideas that Timotar had was that he'd found this report that was published in 2013 by some researchers over in over in Oxford uh, that just did the analysis of looking at 700 odd jobs and looked at the skills that were associated with those particular jobs. They did all of the mathematical research to figure out what the likelihood of a of a particular job being automated was away was. And so it was a very long-winded uh, report. It was something like 50 or 60 pages long that talked into how they did all of their research and how they figured out what this percentage was. And at the very end of it was just like these three pages where they listed these 700 jobs and what the percentage was that that particular job would be automated away. And we were like, well, that's really interesting. Nobody's going to read a 50-page report. And, and get to the end of it to kind of look at these things. 
so we kind of found a way to kind of extract all, all, all that information out. And we're like, well, okay, so we know we can use this, this information. And then we're like, well, just having a job title and a percentage isn't very interesting. So how can we pad this a little bit so it's a little bit more interesting? So we went and found on the, lab- on the Bureau of Labor and Statistics has a website, which actually the report actually used the same job code IDs as the U.S. Department. I guess there's some official job classification stuff that exists. And so we pulled down some information about like how many people actually work in this job, you know, uh, what's the average salary for a person in this job, things like that, just to kind of pad the sort of information a little bit to make it a little bit more interesting. Once we knew that we could get all that information, we kind of like, okay, well, it's still a very simple website, right? Like you, you, you come, you search for your job, and we give you a page that gives you the sort of likelihood that that particular job will get kind of automated away with some extra information as well. And so we figured we could kind of build it in a couple of weekends is kind of what we thought and so that that seems small enough in scope that that it was it was a good first project to to kind of see if we like working together if we like the work that we did to that kind of stuff and so yeah so we so we kind of sat down and kind of figured out who would do what and like I said he was a designer and he actually did some front-end work as well so he did all of the UI and did the HTML and the CSS stuff uh, and I, I did everything else in terms of taking the information that was in the report, importing it into a database so people could search it, collect the other information from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and, and all that kind of, and then kind of glue it all together so that when you search for a job, you got back all of the right stuff. And so we did that and we did it in a couple of weeks, uh, you know, obviously working a few hours here and there. It wasn't like a full-time thing or anything like that. So a few weeks later, we we kind of launched it, <laughs> and it kind of went insane. It went, it went, it, like I said, it, we we kind of launched it on Product Hunt. Uh, we posted on, I think we posted on Hacker News as well in the Show Hacker News area. I can pull up the stats right now, but I mean, it was something like four million page views in the first five days or our first few weeks or something. I, I think we've actually crossed seven million now. That's nuts. So let's just, not I'm bad just for a two week project. Right. And that, and it was it was one of those things we were like, well, we're going to do this project just to see how we might like working together so that when we do something real, something that's going to be big, that we actually know that we want to work together. You know, I don't think we're ever going to do anything quite this large. <laughs> <laughs> so, we skipped a few steps. Yeah, we skipped a few steps. We just went straight to the large project uh, instead. Um, but yeah, so just looking at the stats now. Yeah, so we've done 7.5 million page view since we launched and we launched on may the 29th is when we launched what do you think it was about this project in particular that made it so popular and are there any lessons that you learned here that you're going to carry forward into your future projects no i mean i think it's just a topic that people are really interested in right like people there's just a lot of talk right now about you know people being afraid of their jobs being automated away i mean like it's a very it's a very common worry it's not limited to a particular part of the industry right like all the particular part of the working population everybody seems to be concerned about this whether you're a web designer or a web developer or you know somebody working on on or somebody working on a farm i mean like everybody seems to be interested to know if there's gonna be some machine or some ai that's going to come and take your work and so i think that that i think that's one of the reasons that it gets so much attention is that it just is something that people are talking about a lot right now 
I think one 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 of the other things that we did, uh, a lot of other people, uh, because this this reports existed since two thousand and thirteen, and so other people have built these these kind of things in the past. But I think the way that we presented the information too was really was really a, a, a unique way, right? Like I think some people had taken that same information and just put together a website that just had the list on it. But yeah, you know, you're just seeing a list of jobs and the percentages. It's not very interesting. Uh, and and the way that we did it in terms of you know you actually type in your job and it kind of gives you the matches of the jobs, so you can easily find your job. And then we did put a lot of effort into making it so that you could say that you could share your particular job as well. So we made it very easy for you to post on Facebook. My job is gonna, you know, my job has a five percent chance of being automated away. You know, what's yours? You know, doing that kind of thing. So, so we made it very easy for people to spread the word uh, about the website as well. Yeah, I see the social buttons there. I think it makes a lot of sense that you guys made it so personal. You're not looking at everybody's jobs. You're just looking at your job and how that will be affected, which makes it more fun to share. I think that really was the key thing because I think we did end up getting a lot of traffic from. We'd see spikes coming from. You know, when when it was posted on on some news websites as well, but we'd see a corresponding spike in social activity as well. So we'd see this spike coming, yeah, you know, because it was on because it was on AOL or it was or it was on some TV station as well. It was covered on TV as well. It was covered on TV and radio as well a lot. But we'd see that that spike come in, and then we'd see the long tail of that, like for you know, for hours after that, we'd see like the we'd see the we'd see the traffic from Facebook and Twitter stay high after that because people were sharing it and people were finding it from Facebook and people were sharing it on Twitter and people were finding it on on Twitter as well. So to close out, because we were running out of time, I would love to get your thoughts on what the average person can do to bring their ideas into reality. Because I think most people are in a situation where they're facing a lot of the challenges that you seem to have overcome so effortlessly. They have full-time jobs. They might not know who to work with. They might not know what to work on. And once they finish, they might not know how to get it into people's hands. What is the biggest or the best thing that they can do to go from where they are now to producing a project that people will pay for, or at least that they can build an audience for? I, would say, I, think, I think the biggest mistake people make when, they, when they're doing this thing for the first time is they start too large. Right, they they try and build a massive project that does that solves a hundred different things, you know, sort of that kind of thing. Uh, I think I think most people what, what what they need to do is start small, right? Build the you know build a one page website that solves one specific yeah that solves one thing. Um, because I I think a lot a lot of the things that people forget is they look at things like. Facebook and even Instagram and you know those kind of things and they see these big massive sites that are out there that do so much you can share videos and pictures and you can share your statuses and and things like that but they they forget that when most of those things launched they did one thing and I think that's I think that's the trap that people fall into is like well now I got to compete with Facebook which means I got to do all the things that Facebook does but the reality is that you don't have to right start small build a small audience do one thing once that's you know once that's locked in and, and you're doing well with that, add the second feature, add the third feature, add the fourth feature. You know, and I think if you start small like that too, it also makes the other things that you have to do easier too, right? Like if you're looking for somebody to build something, right? Like you're not presenting them with this sixty-page spec of what they need to build because you're building twenty features. You're building one feature. 
you, know, you can spec that out on one page. Now, when you're looking for people to work with, it's a lot easier to get them to sign on for, for building something smaller than this big, massive thing that they would have to commit six months to as well. They're speaking to my heart right now. I feel like I could take <laughs> this episode back in time to Little Cortland like 10 years ago. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for the advice. Uh, can you tell people who are listening in where they can go to learn more about you and find the projects that you're working on? Absolutely. Uh, well, obviously on Product Hunt, at Mabash Sharikbal. Same on Twitter. Uh, that's probably the place I'm, I'm active the most. I share a lot of links and things related to making side projects and, and kind of things like that as well. And my website is mubs.me. So that's pretty easy, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show and it was great having you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you're looking for a way to help support the Indie Hackers podcast, then you should subscribe on iTunes and leave a quick rating and a review. It only takes about 30 seconds, but it actually really helps get the word out. And I would personally appreciate it very much. In addition, if you are running an internet business or if it's something that you'd like to do in the future, you should join me and a whole bunch of other internet entrepreneurs on the ndhackers.com forum. It's basically a community of like-minded individuals just giving each other feedback and helping out with ideas and landing pages and marketing and growth and other internet business-related topics. That's www.ndhackers.com forum. Hope to see you guys there.